Okay, good evening, everybody. Very special thank you to the Kaiser family, again, for sponsoring the share this evening. This is in honor of the yard site of Mr. Kaiser's father, Mayor Menachem Ben Moshe Yosef. His yard site is the 27th of Nisan. Mitzvah, his neshama should have an aliyah. Tonight's going to be slightly different than uh, usual. Not as practical, perhaps not as user-friendly, but very intriguing. I'd like to basically analyze a Rashi together, a Rashi that many of us may be familiar with for decades, and uh, try to explore it on a few different levels. We have the, the number seven that comes up a lot throughout the Torah. Many mitzvot relating to the number seven. We'll see some examples momentarily. What exactly is the idea behind number seven? What's the significance of seven? We're now in the Svirus Omer, and we have seven times seven, 49 days, and the 50th day Shavuos. We have that similar cycle when it comes to Shemitah and Yovel. Seven cycles of seven, and then Yovel. So there's obviously something very deep, very profound about this system of sevens. What exactly is it? The beginning of the Parsha starts off talking about a special day, which was Biyom Hashmini, on the eighth day, not of the month of Nisan, but the eighth day of the inauguration of the Mishkan, this was the Rosh Chodesh Nisan, where finally Hukam HaMishkan, the Mishkan was erected, and Rashi says there was actually the process leading up to Rosh Chodesh was very strange. And Klal Yisrael, as a nation, we were somewhat disturbed and confused. Rashi says that for Kol Shivas Yemei Meluyim, Shemidu Moshe Lemishkan, Vishimeshbo, all seven days leading up to Yom Hashmini, Moshe was functioning as the Kohen Gadol, and what he would do is he would actually put together the Mishkan, he would serve in the Mishkan, and then Ufarko, he would bring it down, take it apart. This would happen every day of the seven days, lo sharsa bo but the shechina never came. All of the Jewish people understood that this whole process, this ceremony, was to be able to stand there and behold the, the kavod Hashem, and nothing was happening. So they said to Moshe, kol torach shetirachnu shetishra shechina beinenu, all of this work that we've been doing, not just physical labor, but all of the, the, the machshava that we've been pouring into this mishkan, in order to finally see that Hashem has forgiven us for the sin of the golden calf, and nothing's happening. What's going on? You're putting it together, you're taking it apart. So Moshe tells the Jewish people, watch and you'll see. Now I'm going to transfer leadership of the kahuna to Aaron. But Yom HaShmini was the first day that Aaron was now functioning as the Kohen Gadol. Aaron is going to bring his karbonos, 
And through his avoda, through his sincere service, we will observe together the Hashuras Hashchina. Now we know as the story plays out, even after Aaron brought the Karbonos, nothing happened immediately. But then Moshe goes in together with Aaron and their Mavake Shirachimim, they daven together. And at that point in time, the Omuna Eish, the pillar of fire, comes down from the heavens, consumes the carbon for the first time, showing and really declaring that you, Klal Yisrael, have been forgiven for the Egel Hazav. It sounds very strange. What is Moshe doing? What's the purpose? Every day putting it together, taking it apart, whatever exactly that means. It sounds like a lot of work and it wasn't resulting in much. I found in the commentary of Rav Shamshin Rafael Hirsch, the great uh, defender of authentic Judaism in Germany in the 1800s, he writes here, was this also perhaps a significant hint that it was destined to be erected seven times and seven times either taken down to change its home or be destroyed before it would finally become the permanent everlasting home of the glory of God on earth. We only dare to put this forward as a question. He's not saying this with, uh, with a clarity. He's suggesting this with humility and point out that if we look at how many times in the history of Klal Yisrael, the Mishkan or the Beis HaMikdash was erected and then taken down or destroyed in the Midbar, Gilgal, Shiloh, Nov, Givon, the first Beis HaMikdash and the second Beis HaMikdash. Those are seven times throughout history. So it's presented with the historical fact of seven such incidents happening to the house of God. Seven erections followed by Horbin, followed by destruction. Until the advent of the Achris Hayamim, until the end of days, which we are waiting for, like the verse says, and it shall come to pass in the later days that the mount of God, the house shall be firmly established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above all of the hills. This was the bold suggestion of Rav Shamshan Rafal Hirsch. So Moshe putting it up and taking it down seven times was somehow being marames. It was alluding to the fact that this is destined to happen throughout history. Now, if one was to probe deeper, we could still ask the question, but what's significant about this happening seven times and then awaiting the eighth time being the, the permanent Beis HaMikdash? The analogy is also somewhat difficult because when Moshe is erecting the Mishkan and taking it down, Every one of the seven times, he who built it is now demolishing it. Historically speaking, like Rav Hirsch mentions, sometimes that was true, and sometimes that wasn't true. Sometimes it was destroyed. So I'd like to take even a, a deeper look at the significance of these particular seven times that the Mishkan was created and then destroyed. We know that the Malachos of Shabbos, the 39 restrictions we have of creative Malacha, 
come from the 39 forms of malacha that were needed in the construction of the Mishkan. And that's learned out from Adrasha. Right there in the beginning of Parshas Vayakel, the Torah tells us it has this juxtaposition between the prohibition of doing malacha and Shabbos and the building of the Mishkan. From there we derive, the Gemara and Shabbos tells us, that ein chayovin el al malacha shekiyotze bo haisa b'mishkan. The only kind of malacha, the only creative activity that's problematic on Shabbos is if it falls under the category of one of the 39 actions that was done in the creation of the Mishkan. So technically that makes sense. You have these two ideas right next to each other. That's a valid drasha. We're able to conclude, halachically speaking, there's a connection. But hashkafically speaking, what is that connection? Why is it that the, 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 the type of malacha that was required for the building of the Mishkan happens to be the same kind of work or creative activity that's Asr on Shabbos? What exactly is that Sada Shava? What is that connection? So the Mishkan, we know, was a very deep and mysterious structure. And there was a lot going on that we'll never fully understand. But there is a Medish Rabbah that tells us that the Mishkan itself was actually a microcosm of the universe. And what the Medish Rabbah does is it goes day by day, all seven days, six days of creation and Shabbos, and it shows how every day of creation is actually found in the creation of the Mishkan. As ha Mishkan shu shokel kenegada olam shikori ohel. The world is called an ohel, a tent, and the Mishkan is also called the tent, an ohel. Nota shemayim kiriya. We have the verse in Tehillim where David Melech says that Hashem laid out the heavens like a curtain. And similarly, we have in the Mishkan, Va'asisa Yerios. You have to make curtains. Yihirakiya v'yimavdil. We have in day two of creation this distinction between the Shemayim, the, the, the waters below, the waters above. And we have the same thing regarding the Mishkan. V'hivdila ha'parochis lechem. That the parochis, the curtain, should serve as a separation. And it goes on to show you that every day of creation finds its manifestation in the Mishkan. Lastly, after all sheish yisimei what did Hashem do? Vayavarech Elohim, Hashem gave a bracha to the world. And like we find in the beginning of Parsha Shmini, on the Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the eighth day, after the completion of the Mishkan, Vayavarech Osam, Moshe and Aaron give a bracha to the Jewish people. Who was the, the master architect of the Mishkan? Bitzalel. The Bitzalel was a Kabbalist, and the Gemara tells us, Bitzalel knew how to take the osios, the letters that were created, that were used to create heavens and earth. And somehow through that chachma, through that wisdom, he was able to construct the Mishkan. 
Why do you need those levels of credentials to be able to build the Mishkan? It's a wonderful thing that you know Kabbalah and you know some of the magic that was required in the actual bringing about Shemaim V'aretz, but why do you need that Chachma to create the Mishkan? The answer would be because that's what the Mishkan was. The Mishkan was, in a sense, a new Shemaim V'aretz. It was a microcosm of the universe that we had together with us as we were traveling. This would also explain the, the simcha, that sense of celebration on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, when finally we had the Mishkan. And it's clear in all of the psukim, in the beginning of the Parsha, there was so much excitement. One of the reasons why when Nodav and Aviyu were killed, it says, V'yidom Aaron, he was silent. Partly, he was a Baal Bitachon, and he understood this is Kiddush Hashem, this is all a Kaddish Baruch Hu. But he was also silent because it wasn't the time or place for mourning. This was a day of Simcha. This was a Chasana. The Gemara in Megillah says that also Hayom on that day of Rosh Chodesh Nisan, Haisa Simcha Lifnei Kaddish Baruch Hu, Kiyom Shenivru Bo Shemaim V'Oretz. The joy that Hashem was experiencing, so to speak, was the same level joy that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had the day he created heavens and earth. Why? Because this was a creation of heaven and earth. So I think it's fair to suggest, and many of the Balei Machshava take a similar approach, why is it that the, the actions for creation of the Mishkan are the same things that are prohibited to do on Shabbos? Because, kaviyachal, so to speak, those are the 39 things that Hashem did in the creation of the world. Shabbos is a day of shvisa. We are, we are stopping, we are refraining from the creation that Hashem did. Hashem did these 39 mulachos. That's what we did in the building of the Mishkan when we created our own world here in Olam Hazet. So don't do those things that are the real tachlis, the real purpose, the real essence of creation. Everything else you can do. You want to run around the block, you want to lift heavy things when there's an Eruv, that's not Malacha. Malacha is defined based on the Mishkan because whatever was needed for the Mishkan is really the quintessential Malacha of Brias Shemaim Ve'oretz, the creation of heaven and earth. Techias HaMesim, and we're jumping around here from our initial question of why was Moshe setting up the Mishkan for all seven days? What was the goal of him doing that? We're now getting into the idea of, of what Malacha what form of activity is Asr and Shabbos, and why is that based on the Mishkan, understanding what the Mishkan was? The next step is analyzing for a moment Techias HaMesim. And some of these pieces may sound uh, somewhat distinct from each other, but in Mitzvah Shem we'll see how they tie together. Techias HaMesim is something that even Maminim B'nai Maminim have a very difficult time with. Uh, one God, I'm in. Torah Minas Shemayim, 
I could understand the logical progression. This is the expression of the divine will. Mashiach, a time of Geula. All of these things can make sense. Tchiyas Mason, though, is harder to wrap our heads around. And we see throughout history, this was one of the principles of faith that, that people did have a difficult time with. I remember many years ago seeing a reform sitter. And for the second brach of Shmon Esrei, and so instead of saying Mechaye Mesim, I think the language was Mechaye Hakol. That Hashem gives life to everything because resurrection of the dead is an old-fashioned idea. That, that, that's, that's hard for us modern-day people to, to believe in and relate to. So I was curious, what does the conservative sitter say? Right? If the classic Orthodox sitter is Mechai Mesim and the Reform sitter is Mechai Hakol, what's the middle ground? So I found the conservative sitter, and the one that I found, at least, they actually had both options. So whatever you're more comfortable with. But we all struggle with this, with this idea of Tachias and Mesim. Listen to the Ramchal, the way he describes Tachias and Mesim. He says, Yitzarich lehem behechrich. There is a necessity within creation, just like life in general, which is really the definition of life. Life means there's growth, there's movement. And sometimes that movement is flourishing, sprouting. The, uh, the plant or the animal or the child is growing. And sometimes that movement means there's actually a diminishing of kochos. It's withering. But the fact that there's a tenua sachayim, that's the expression we find in the chovas halavavos. Life is called tenua, there's movement. When there's movement in any direction, there's life. Tchiyas hamesim is part of the cycle of life. And says the Ramchal, it's not only true for humanity that we have this amuna that the human being will experience a tachiyah, but the same thing is true with the entirety of the world. There will be a destruction, mitsurosa shelata, from its present form, but then there will be a hischadshus, there will be a renewal that will enable the world, not just human beings, but the world in general, to have more of a, a wholesomeness, more of a perfection to it. And therefore explains the Ramchal and Derech Hashem, there was this, defi- this divine decree that the human being will eventually die, we are mortal, after the chait of the Eitz Vayachzer Vayichya, but there will be a chazara, a renewal of life, v'hu inyin techiyas ha-mesim, v'al ha-olam That's true for the human beings, and that's true for the world in general. Just like a plant, you can have a tiny little seed, that seems to evaporate into absolutely nothing, and it rots and it decays in the soil, and then you have a techiyah. Somehow it's coming to life. The, the, the nutrients, 
that, that were laden in this seed are now coming and forming chiyus. And there's a tenua sachayim, there's a movement of life. When the human being is laid to rest, when the gufa adam, when the body is placed into the soil, there's decomposition, there's rotting, there's maggots. It becomes one with the earth. But just like that little seed seems to decompose, there's a recavon, it will also sprout again in the future. Does that mean we're going to look like the same people we are now? Definitely not. In the world in this Tehiyas HaMesim state, which chronologically seems to come after the times of Geula and Mashiach, this is the final frontier, at least according to many, it's a different Bria, it's a different universe. The best example we find is the, uh, the caterpillar. When it makes its little chrysalis and it curls up inside there for a couple of weeks and it melts into nothingness. And then you have emerged from this, this kever, this grave, a gorgeous, beautiful butterfly that's able to do a lot more than the caterpillar ever did. It's able to soar. That's the Chiyas HaMesim. But explains the Ramchal, it's not limited to humanity. It's true regarding the entirety of the world. To understand this and to appreciate it, I want to share with you a comment of the Leshem. The Leshem was actually the grandfather of Rebbe Yoshev. This was Rebbe Shlomo Al-Yoshev, one of the great Kabbalists of his time. Actually saw recently... Um, a handwritten paper, a picture of a handwritten paper from Rav Cook that he wrote to place on the matzeva of the gravestone of the Leshem, speaking about the, the sanctity and the godliness of this, this master of, of Kabbalah and Torah. The Leshem echoes this idea of the Ramchal, that Tachiyas HaMesim is not limited for humanity, but there will be a renewal of the world in general. He says, Life was made, life was created in order to keep on moving. It sprouts, it flourishes, it grows, it withers, it decays, but then it grows again. And everything comes back and there's a hischadshus in a different form. The Al-Inyan Techiyas HaMesim writes the Leshem, and just like we find this notion of the resurrection of the dead, which is true for the human being, who is an Adam Katan, Olam Katan rather, a small microcosm of the universe, this is true for the entirety of the world. It's not just that there happens to be Techias Mesim for you guys, and once we're doing Tachiyas Mesim for humanity, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, let's also do it for the whole world. It comes from the same principle. A human being is a world. Right? The Zohar says, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu says in the Torah, Nasa Adam, let us make man. So all of the commentators grapple with the question, why is it in the plural? Who is Hashem speaking with? Says the Zohar, this is after the creation of everything else. And therefore what Hashem was doing, He was actually turning to everything else in the Bria, 
Shekadosh Baruch Hu Amr Lechol Habriyakula Nasa Kulonu Yachad Adam Shekulonu Nishtate Vibriyaso. Let us all form together the Adam. I want to take a little bit, a little bit of the teva, of the nature, of the essence of everything here on the planet, from the most gashmi, from the, the, the crawling animals, to the more majestic chayos and behemos, from the malachay shares, from all of the celestial beings. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Nasa Adam, I want to take everything together, and make a microcosm of the universe, that's the Adam. So both of the world and the human being have this hischadshus, they have a renewal of Tachiyas HaMesim. Now where do we find the renewal, this Tachiyas HaMesim, when it comes to the world? Or, we could say in the plural, worlds. There's a Medish Rabbah, Medish Rabbah tells us, this is source number 15, that Omer Rebbe Avohu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Bona Ulamos Umachrivan. Hashem actually created worlds and He destroyed them. Bore Ulamos Umachrivan. And again, He created worlds and He destroyed them. Ad Shabora Es Elu, until he created these, the Amar, and Hashem said, Die in Hanoyanli, he also known Lo Hanoyanli. These ones I like, and the other ones I don't. So I destroyed them. That's what the Medrash Rabbah says. Hashem created worlds and destroyed them until finally we found the perfect product. And Hashem said, Yes, this is my world. Now, this needs a lot of explanation, and whenever we have a chazal that seems to address the darche Hashem, ways of the infinite, we know that we have no hope of understanding it. Simply, the whole idea of Hashem creating something and then destroying it, that doesn't make any sense if a Kaddish Baruch Hu is the Kol Yachol, He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. For a human being to experiment, to try something, how many times did it take for Edison to actually make the light bulb? Well, I heard recently, my brother told me that, um, what's the stuff you spray when it's squeaking? WD-40. Why is it called WD-40? Because he tried 39 times beforehand, and it didn't... He didn't get the product he was looking for. So WD-40, that was the 40th try. But when you're speaking about a Kaddish Baruch Hu, the Ein Sof, right, the limitless creator of the universe, there's no such thing as experimenting. Let me just try this out. I'll put these uh, chemicals together, and it explodes. Oh, I didn't know that was coming. So we'll have to analyze what this Chazal is teaching us. There was, though, in the, in the 1800s, the early 1800s, a very controversial um, essay of the Tferes Yisrael, Rabbi Yisrael Lifshitz. He was one of the great Mepharshim on the Mishnah that we have of more contemporary times. And he addresses findings that were uh, 
becoming well-known at the time. We'll mention some of them in a moment. But through archaeology and through uh, different excavations that were taking place, the world was becoming aware of different animals and, and creatures that clearly lived a long time ago but are no longer here. And many in the scientific world they began to postulate perhaps the, uh, the, the world is older than we thought it was. So I want to share with you the uh, Tferis Yisrael. See how he applies this particular Medish Rabbah. He quotes the Chazal that HaKadosh Baruch who created worlds and he destroyed them. The Rebbeinu B'chaya shares with us an amazing secret from the Kabbalist in Parsha Zohar. He shares this. That the world was created and destroyed seven times, or at least it w- it's destined to be created and destroyed. Keneged Zayin Shemito Shebeyovel, corresponding to the seven cycles of the Yovel. Shehem Yachad Memtes Alofim Shana, altogether that equals 49,000 years. Right, so we know the Tanah Debeil Yohu, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, that our world was destined to last for how many years? We have 6,000 years. And then what happens in the seventh, the, the seventh thousand years is a, is a very special time. But the Rabbeinu B'chayah says, that's only our world. But altogether, you should know, there are actually cycles of this. How many? There are seven. Seven cycles of seven. That brings you altogether to 49,000 years. Now... We don't have time, it's well beyond the scope of this conversation, to address the whole issue of the age of the universe. But this is a, a springboard to that topic. At first glance, it doesn't do much if the world of science is saying it's 13.7 billion years. 49,000 is getting a little bit closer than six, but not quite there. But we're going to save that discussion in Ritz for a different time. We actually had a a Sunday morning series on this years ago. So we'll get back to that. But this is what the Tferis Yisrael is quoting from the Rabbeinu Bachaya and the Mekubalim. The Kosov Ode, he writes further, Shibachol Shemitu Shemitah Hanal, that in every cycle, Yiyeha Olam Nivr Bahashlama Yaseira Yoser Mi What's the point of Hashem creating something only to destroy it? It's not that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made a mistake, the experiment went wrong, but rather it sounds like it's almost, forgive the expression, an evolutionary process. That each world was another level of shleimus. Al Shabbosof Yachsun Kol HaKadusha until at the very end of this seven, this seven uh, sets then all of the, the sparks of Kedusha will finally come together and create the, the real intention, the real Ratzon of Hashem. He goes on to quote the Rikanti, who says, if you look at all of the different mitzvot, like we mentioned at the beginning, 
there are so many different obligations that surround the number seven. We have the seven days of the week. We have the seven days of Pesach. Echad miyodeya, that's what it sounds like. We have the seven days of Sukkot. We have the seven days of Tumas Nida. We have the seven uh, days of the, the, the clean days for Azava. We have the seven days leading up to the Mila, which is beyond Hashmini. We have seven days of mourning, seven days of celebration for a wedding. We have the Shemitah, which is seven years, and then we have the Yovel, which is seven of those cycles. We have the menorah and the Beis HaMikdash. How many branches of the menorah? We have seven. And we have seven sprinkles of the dumb on Yom Kippurim. The Ode, the Ode Harbe, and there are many more examples. What's another example he didn't mention? Spheris Omer. That seems to be another example. So it explains the Tiferes Yisrael that every one of the thousand years that we have within the cycle corresponds to one day of creation. And every cycle seems to also correspond to one day of creation. He says, and this is actually debated, he says that we have a Mesorah, we have a tradition that presently, what cycle are we in? The fourth. We're in the fourth cycle. What happened on the fourth day of creation? We had the, the sun and the moon. What is that a reference to, says the Tferis Yisrael? That's the Torah, right? The, the source of all light. What's special about this fourth cycle is this is when the Torah is being given to Klal Yisrael. But the implication is this will come to an end. There will be some level of destruction. Then we're going to have a fifth cycle and a sixth and a seventh. And only after all seven, then we'll have what he describes as the tachlis habriya, the purpose of everything. And I have a proof that this is true. That's what he writes. See, many people, when addressing the issue of, of finding fossils, there's a need to become apologetic. And there's almost a pressure, how do we fit this in with what the Torah seems to say? The approach of the Tferes Yisrael, and this was heavily debated, I'm not presenting this as, as the authoritative answer to the question. But the approach of the Tzaras Yisrael was, we have a proof from science, from archaeology, that, that this Kabbalistic tradition is actually true. What's the proof? So he goes on to speak about all of these findings of Chosr, Vachofer. They were digging and they discovered in America, in the Himalayan mountains, in Baltimore, they found this massive elephant. All right, a woolly mammoth. We don't have any of these species around nowadays. They're all extinct. Clearly, says the Tiferes Yisrael, they were from a different olam. They were from a different cycle. It was destroyed, but he's assuming, which is also heavily debated, that destruction of the world doesn't mean zap back to nothingness and then another yesh me'ayin, another something from nothing. The Tiferes Yisrael is assuming that when the Medish Rabbah says Hashem was bone olomos umachrivan, it means Hashem created everything, 
right? The, 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 the substance of reality was here from the very beginning. And then there were, there were cycles. Maybe there was a massive comet that came and killed the dinosaurs. And that was one destruction making way for the, the next world. Was that? So he would say the idea of, well, he has a whole piece trying to explain the Psukim and Bereshis. That's well beyond the scope of our discussion. But take a look over here in the left column. So he concludes, though, by saying, Mikola Omar Nira Boror, from all of this, it, it appears clear to me. Everything that we've received from the Kabbalistic masters over hundreds of years, that the world was here and it was destroyed and it was recreated, and now we're in the fourth cycle. We don't need proof to anything that we have in the Torah. But for those who are skeptical, for those who have a, have a hard time believing that the world could be older than their assumption, he's saying, look, that's really what science is saying as well. If that helps you believe, call a kavod. Now he calls this actually a process of techiyah semesim. So techiyah semesim is not just in the, the end of days, but it sounds like it could be part of this, this process, the, the shmitos, the different cycles of the worlds being created and destroyed, not because Hashem made a mistake and he had to start from the beginning, but because there is a process, some kind of process of uh, having more hashlama in each cycle. One could suggest and this is speculation, but I think it's part of the obligation of just trying to understand Rashi. Rashi's telling us, quoting the Medrash Tanchuma, that Moshe Rabbeinu put up and he took down the Mishkan seven times for those seven days leading up to Yom HaShmini. What are you doing, Moshe? And was it actually true that he was accomplishing nothing until finally we got to the eighth day, and then he gave the kahuna to Aaron, and he brought his karbanos, and they davened together, and only then something happened, but the first seven days were worthless? Likely not. So Sham Shurim Hirsch is telling us, it's a remez, it's an allusion to the historical process of the Beis HaMikdash, and, and it's incredible. We have these seven points in history, corresponding to the seven times Moshe Rabbeinu put it up and took it down. I think it's also possible to say that if what the Mishkan was was really a microcosm of this world, just like the human being, the Mishkan was a microcosm of this world. And the 39 malachos that were needed in the creation of the Mishkan were the 39 malachos, so to speak, that Hashem did when he created the universe, and Moshe is creating a universe, then it's logical to assume that you're going to emulate the way Hashem creates the universe. Bone olamos umachrivan. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did, and there was something that was being accomplished every time. One could argue Moshe was doing the exact same thing. He was being Mekayim, the mitzvah, 
of the halachta b'derachov. He was following Hashem's ways. You want me to build a little, a little universe here, Olamazeh? I'm going to do it just like you did it. And every day, there was a deeper hashlama. There was an accomplishment. Kalal Yisrael might not have picked up on it, and therefore they were asking Moshe, hey, nothing's going on. But every day, something was happening, building up to the Yom Hashmini. What exactly, and this is a question that's really impossible to answer, but I want to share with you a suggestion we find from Rav Yosef Dov Salavechik. Why was it that Hashem had to do this process? Bona olomos umachrivan. And according to our suggestion, why did Moshe emulate Hashem? What is the, the goal? This is a speech that was given in October of 1971, um, entitled Creation Ex Nilo, where Yosef Dov Salavechik said that the question is, what bothers me, I'm not interested in that, referring to the conflict of the age of the universe and how that fits in with the psukim and Bereshis. I've never been involved. I'm not bothered by that. That wasn't something that occupied his mind. The question which troubles my mind is as follows. And he shares the question that we're all bothered by, namely, I understand creation, experimenting when it comes to a human being, but when it comes to Hashem, what is He doing? What is the purpose of building worlds and destroying them and doing it again and again and again? So said of Yosef Dov Salavechik, apparently, it's like I've mentioned in a different context, that in Yadus and Judaism, every article of faith is converted into a moral challenge, into something which stimulates man and tells him either to do or to abstain, to engage or to withdraw. It's a moral norm. Meaning to say, although it's in English, sometimes we have to translate with Salavechik. Anytime we find the Chazal, any glimpse that we're given, that's revealed to us about what Hashem is doing, we know automatically that we have no clue what it's saying. And obviously, it's, it's, it's this very, very obscure metaphor. So why do I have to know something if, I, if I'll never understand the nimshal? I don't know how to apply it to the infinite creator of the world. So we have a guiding principle in Hashkafa. If Chazal are revealing to us something that Hashem is doing in words that make sense to us, the only goal of that is for me to know in my context, in my reality, to be able to emulate Hashem, to fulfill the mitzvah, the halachta bedrochav. Right? Hashem had to consult with the angels. What in the world does that mean that Hashem is consulting with angels? Simple answer, we have no clue. What is the point then of Chazal saying that to us? So we understand what's our moral imperative. What is the human obligation when making a decision? Consult with people, even if you might know more than they do. Have a pilpul chaverim. Every glimpse we have into the infinite is for only one purpose, to implement that in our lives. So suggest with Yosef Dov Salavechik, Apparently, man has to be creative. 
Man has to be creative. Hard to know how to apply that, how far to take that. But one Musr Haskell, one insight that we can glean from this, is that sometimes there is progression. It might not be visible to the naked eye. It might appear as if you're doing the same thing over and over again. Right? How many times have people shared with me how, how frustrating it is to try to clean up uh, the clothing, towels on the floor of the bathroom, the toys. When you're cleaning up after children, even if you get the house spotless, it doesn't mean anything because in a few hours from now, it's going to be a mess again. So what are you accomplishing? The answer is, this is part of my Avodah Hashem. And every step of the way, although it might be building and taking down, building and taking down, but it's a greater hashlama, I'm, I'm, I'm getting closer to my goal. What that means regarding Hashem, we don't know. But as a suggestion for an understanding in Rashi, maybe that's what Moshe Rabbeinu was doing in the creation of the, the Olam HaKotan, of this miniature world here in Olam Hazeh, he needed to do a similar structure of creation, a process of creation, like HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What does that mean for us? Says Rav Yosef Dov Salavechik, right? his conjecture, we need to keep on being creative, even if sometimes we don't see the fruit of that labor, we have to keep on building. Okay, shkoyach.